Precision medicine is all about acknowledging that each of us is different, even our genetics. We'll talk about that more next on The Scope. Examining the latest research and telling you about the latest breakthroughs. The Science and Research Show is on The Scope. I'm talking to Dr. Clement Chow, Assistant Professor of Human Genetics at the University of Utah. Give me an example of a particular disease that um, looks different in different people. Well, cystic fibrosis is kind of the classic um, textbook example. And when you take these patients that have the same mutation in the CF gene, what you, we often see is that there's a lot of clinical differences in the way they manifest their disease, whether they have... Um, whether they get certain kinds of infections or, or whether different um, different organs are affected, it can be quite variable even between individuals that have the same disease-causing mutation. But why is that important to know and to acknowledge? Well, you know, right now, you know, a lot of drug development is based on this this idea that, you know, a certain disease, say cancer or type 2 diabetes, for example, is the same in every individual. It targets a specific pathway or response and it treats that pathway and response in every individual as if it's the same. The problem is, is that that's not the case almost ever in any disease in any group of patients. And, and so in order to think about more personalized therapies and personalized drugs, we need to understand, you know, how the genetic makeup of each individual affects how that disease is, um, is going to show up in, in, in those individuals and how that differs from this other group that has a different set of background genetic variants. So when it comes to laboratory research, which is how we understand what causes disease and how to treat them, um, this kind of genetic diversity has largely been ignored, I would say. Um, but wh- why is that? So the, the typical you know, genetic study or m- model of, of a genetic study in, in the lab is, is done on what's known as an inbred strain and you know, the different fields, the Drosophila fly genetic fields or the mouse genetic fields have adopted one or two standard genetic backgrounds. Yeah, and so, are, so are they basically genetic clones of each other? Yeah, so so basically they are genetic clones. And that's one one way of um, kind of ensuring that the experiments are, are standardized and, and that we can make conclusions. They They teach us a lot about physiology and the genetic disease, but they don't really reflect kind of the variation that's that's in a population. So you're um, investigating how um, these these differences can influence um, a, a particular disease called retinitis pigmentosa. So retinitis pigmentosa is a is a um, retinal degeneration. It's a hereditary um, form of blindness. You know, the cells in the retina begin to degenerate due to diff- for different reasons depending on what type of retinitis pigmentosa you have. And and what did you find out about about this disease in your lab? We we know when you look in the literature, especially at at you know the the papers and studies looking at patients with retinitis pigmentosa, you see that there's a large amount of heterogeneity in in the way that retinitis pigmentosa presents in those patients. And so we thought we could take advantage of genetic variation in in Drosophila, the fruit fly, to um to st- to identify some of the modifier genes that might be driving these differences in the human population. And so what we did was we took a model of um, retinitis pigmentosa in the fly and crossed it onto 200 genetic backgrounds. And what that does is these, it captures variation that's existent in a population, variation that we know is, is present in, in living organisms. And, and once we, once we crossed this mutation onto the 200 backgrounds, we basically, we basically found that the retinal variation was incredibly variable between these 200 strains, basically ranging from 
almost completely degenerated retina to almost no no degeneration. And so this is quite striking because it's the same mutation on 200 different backgrounds, 200 different individuals, and you get basically 200 different kind of versions of the disease. And so then we we use that variability to to identify modifier genes using using a genetic mapping strategy, and we identified a I think what is a really nice um, new list of modifier genes that haven't really been been implicated in retinitis pigmentosa before. So what what kinds of modifier genes? I mean, I, it's hard to imagine what what it could be that that's making that the disease look so different in right. different strains. At the heart of um, retinitis pigmentosa is the death of of the um, of the retinal retinal cells, and we f- we do find a large number of genes that are involved. In, in cell death, which is what's driving these retinal cells to, to die ultimately. And um, what's interesting is that these, these are genes involved in cell death or apoptosis that aren't um, typically thought of as kind of the main players in the pathway. Hmm. And so probably because variation can't really change the main players of any particular pathway too much without um, hurting the, the organism. And so that so it can tolerate variation in these peripheral members, but not maybe not in the main main members. And that's what we're finding with natural variation is that oftentimes variation comes from, from these kind of, quote, less important players. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's really rather, interesting. Rather than the kind of the main drivers of, of that response in, in the organism. And do you have any idea at this point whether any of the modifiers you found in your screens are also seen in, in people? We, we don't know yet whether they're modifying disease in, in humans, but we are um, collaborating with a group to look at um, sequences from from patients that have mutations in retinitis pigmentosa genes to see if any of these if there are mutations in any of these modifier genes in the in their background that might be modifying their their disease. So that work is undergoing now. Um. So so why is it important to to do this this type of work? Personalized therapies, you know, are kind of dependent on this idea that you know people are different, that everyone's genetics is a little different, and this drives disease differences. So we hope that by by studying genetic variation. Um, in model organisms, we have this kind of nice controlled way to to start breaking down some of these these effects, which are much more difficult to do in a human population. And so we think that we can make some progress using model organisms this way. You know, NIH is, has a push now to make sure that labs do research on female as well as male um, cells or or animals or whatever it is. Do you think? This type of work is kind of the next wave. I think that you know people are becoming more and more, um, more and more attuned to these kind of differences. Though I think that there's there's also a lot of resistance to it because it complicates the lab the mm-hmm. laboratory setting. You know, it makes it makes it harder to make firm firm um, conclusions, and which is what science is so used to. But, but there really aren't any firm conclusions in science. Interesting, informative, and all in the name of better health. This is the Scope Health Sciences Radio.